0: So we're too early for the last time you were allowed to be funny, according to Tom Phillips.
1: (laughs) All his movies are full of people who are just awful.
0: Welcome back to enter the realworld.com. This is There Will Be Movies, a podcast where we chronicle twenty-five of our favorite movies from a given decade, volume one, two thousand to two thousand nine. If you would like to know the rules of this here podcast, why we chose certain things, why we didn't choose other things, blah blah blah. Episode zero is pinned on the page for this podcast on the site. My name is Matt Waters. I am joined for episode fifteen by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm a little bit freaked out right now. So I have just looked up Sunshine on Box Office Mojo for our We're doing sunshine, in. by the way. We're doing sunshine, by the <laughs> way. For our little for our little bit of like what's opening Box Office Weekend in the UK. It's highlighted in yellow, which means it's in theatres somewhere in the world right now. What? Yeah I know. What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the box office is a lie it's still going people
1: it, it didn't crash and bomb horrifically it only made 32 million dollars on oh, how big was the budget? 40 40, god Jesus Christ yeah it, this made about 4 million dollars in the US box office, that is not good. It's not is it? chosen by me,
0: purely because of what a banger it was at the box office just how successful it was, this one was constantly on the chopping block we had a fan vote for our final movie but this one, more than once it was like, I think this needs to come on we'll cut Sunshine. And then Sunshine just kept clinging on out of like, I don't know I, I feel this sort of stubbornness and I
1: also it being I think the lowest rated movie we're covering. It, it's the lowest rated movie covering but also it's a movie which I'm gonna up front say this right now, I think the first two thirds of this movie are a 10 out of 10. And then it
0: stays that good all the way to the end and the end
1: credits aren't weird either. God, <laughs> oh, it just this movie is... Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there very much he uh, wins an oscar one year after this movie came out
0: yeah he being danny boyle so thank you for not pushing for slumdog millionaire and letting me have my dumb sci-fi movie oh it's not dumb that's well it gets dumb yeah so in this decade he does i mean this is we've done some pretty good decades uh, by filmmakers but say what you want about the beach but the beach 28 days later millions and slumdog Millionaire and and Sunshine, like, that's a pretty good list.
1: But it's also it's also a bizarre list because like I don't think he's ever done something in the same genre. Well, he did a
0: sequel to Twenty Eight Days Later. But... I mean, that's
1: it, but he did well. No, he didn't direct that. That was directed by someone else. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, he did a sequel to Train Spotting. Train Spotting is the only one that he's okay. actually done a sequel to. So he starts off making these tiny little British indie movies like Shallow Grave. Does Train Spotting, which is this massive, massive hit, and then he kind of does two flops in a row with Life Less Ordinary and The Beach. Pisses off his frequent collaborator, Hugh McGregor, by doing The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. Hell yeah. And then Come he on, who this... among
0: us wouldn't pick Leo over Hugh and McGregor if it was a choice and they were both available?
1: Uh... Depends on what the role is. Obi-Wan
0: Kenobi by Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs>
1: ben yeah, fucks then fucks now.
0: To... Sorry, uh, but
1: then, but then he then he follows up with Twenty Eight Days Later, which is like one of the definitive 21st century zombie movies. Yep. Millions, which is this bizarre but lovely, sweet kind of like British comedy about it's, a kid who finds.
0: With...
1: It's nice. It's nice. Sunshine, which is this gorgeous movie with like so many stars of tomorrow and like up and coming people in it. That's kind of a little bit insane to look back on. Mm-hmm. Oscar-winning movie set in in India are based around Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Starring one of the stars of, of Skins.
0: <laughs> I will say, like, I'm not going to come out and be like, I fuck Slumdog. I want Sunshine. I
1: do really like Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog's because, really good. Yeah. And then 127 Hours, which is,
0: yeah.
1: What if we trap James Franco under a rock for 90 minutes? Mm-hmm. Trance, which I've not actually seen. It's good. It's good. Steve it's Jobs, not great, which I'm sure good. Was, good. Steve Jobs, uh, I'm sure, is your favourite movie that he's ever done. <laughs> Steve Jobs is a great play that they've pointed cameras at by accident. Finally making up with Ewan McGregor to do train spotting too. Uh-huh. The movie where the Beatles disappear. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, then, is that him? That's him. And then to, then to cap it all off, he almost does a Bond movie. Oh, Danny, Danny,
0: Danny. Oh, yeah.
1: and somewhere in there, he is the creative director of the Olympics in 2012. That's true. A hell of an Olympic <laughs> opening ceremony. I'll, I'll give it and directed, and directed episodes of TV for both Babylon and Trust. He is Danny, the British Danny Stephen was- Soderbergh. <laughs> he's the British Stephen, either British Stephen Soderbergh, or he's the British Ron Howard.
0: Yeah, take every and project. Just, yeah,
1: exactly. Like, there's no... I mean, like, Danny Boyle, like, there are a couple of things I'd say that are, like, kind of like Danny Boyle, but he just covered so many genres <laughs> across his entire
0: career. And yeah, it's... and he covered several of them with the writer of this movie, Alex Garland, who is someone I hold in quite high esteem for no real rational reason, but he wrote, obviously, The Beach as a novel, and he also wrote, 28 Days Later, Never Let Me Go, Dread, and then he uh, got into directing by doing Ex Machina and Annihilation. He also wrote two video games I quite like in terms of their story, Enslaved and DMC, The Best Devil May Cry. That's not for this audience, you can't end <laughs> me for a debate there. Yeah, so they've collaborated quite a lot. Is this their final? Oh, they both produced 28 Weeks Later, I think. Yeah, so, yeah. Sense. In terms of directing and writing together, I think this is their last one they did. So, released in a little year called 2007, April in the UK, July in the US. Now, we're going to be visiting this year a large number of times, Benjamin, so you're going to break up some of your yearly breakdowns amongst these. So given how much, just a colossal amount of money this movie made, I think it's only appropriate you talk about the highest grossing movies of 2007.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as we've been charting through this, we've kind of been, like, noting when movies become more like how they are nowadays, (laughs) and this is getting pretty close to kind of modern-day standards. So number one, the box office worldwide in 2007 we have Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End makes sense sexy pirates baby and we have Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix best book so you keep saying best book not the best movie Spider-Man 3 not the best Spider-Man movie no Shrek the Third, definitely not the best Shrek movie. No! Transformers, the best Transformers movie! Low bar, also Bumblebee.
0: That's <laughs> also true. Transformers the movie, the original. Uh, Which isn't even good, by the way, but it's better than all the Michael Bay ones.
1: And then at number six, the first original movie, but even then, it's Pixar, so, like, the brand is still Pixar. Mm-hmm. Ratatouille. Hell
0: yeah. Which fucks. Yeah, they would have been on this list if not for the fact we're gonna do, we're gonna be insane people that try and cover all of Pixar at some point. At
1: some point. Then we have I Am Legend at number seven. Original ending's pretty dope. This is one of those weird things where like, is this like the last of Will Smith as like the biggest movie star in the world? Uh,
0: yeah because I, at university, I did film at university and we did a module on star theory and someone came out and called Brad Pitt the biggest movie star in the world and I was like, aha, you're wrong. Here's evidence that shows it's Will Smith and I talked about him for about 10 minutes. Sorry, you yeah.
1: continue. So like, after, after this movie, Will Smith kind of like just disappears. Like he does what? like his pound- karate he...
0: kid for his son.
1: Yeah, but he does like £7 pounds, and he does... I feel like there's one more movie he does. And then when he... was
0: Pursuit of Happiness? Before or after that? No, I think it's
1: 2006.
0: Okay. £7, pounds, yeah. Maybe yeah, But well, I am Legend Hancock, £7
1: pounds, and then he fucks off until Men in Black 3. But he's back, baby. He's the He's genie. back.
0: He's in everything. hasn't made a
1: good movie at all in his entire stretch of coming back for movies. Gemini Man. Wait, is that out? I don't know. That's not out. I'm excited for Gemini Man. Okay. Uh, Will Smith fights Will Smith. Hell yes. Hell yeah. Metaphor for his career. Number eight, The Simpsons Movie. Oh,
0: jeez. What a trip.
1: That movie is better than the show had been for about six years at that point. Yep. National Treasure Book of Secrets. National Treasure Fox. Uh, Can't remember number, the sequel. And number 10, 300. Oh! Yeah, yeah we're not going We're not going any deeper than that. Although there is a movie that... That we'll be discussing at some point in the near future. There we go, ten, top ten movies at the box office that year. There you go. Well then, and I noticed just... you didn't say Sunshine. No. Uh, <laughs> just Sun- Sunshine's opening weekend in the UK opened at number 25 at the UK box Fuck office. me.
0: That's got to be the lowest of anything we're ever going to cover.
1: Earning, yeah. earning just $240,000 at the UK box office.
0: They spend more money on like opening parties for some of these Marvel movies. <laughs> like Jesus Christ. Uh,
1: number one movie at the UK UK box office that weekend was the terrible homophobic piece of shit I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry with $34 million at the UK box office in some good news I will say Sunshine does jump up to number 13 the next week well it's making money right now so it's making money somewhere but Yeah, Sunshine jumps up to number 13 the next week with $1.2 million at the UK box office Hefty. Uh, and then I, I'm just intrigued where the fuck is this movie out at the moment that's your research project I mean does that include just like oh we're showing it
0: tonight as a one? Wild- off i mean it's on box office mojo somewhere so i don't know (laughs) they just re-released it are they like people are thirsty for chris evans (laughs) simply oh geez all right so it's 107 minutes long it's wild that they managed to pack two completely different movies into that runtime. <laughs> so, in terms of background, Garland wrote the screenplay, sent it to Boyle after their previous collaborations, and Boyle's schedule opened up because he was going to make a movie about, like, a big fire that happened in Massachusetts, and then the, like, survivors or, or, or widows or whatever were like, um, don't make this, please, and his movie fell apart. So, he can make Sunshine, which is also about burning people alive. Fox were reluctant to give them money because the Solaris remake that they'd made a few years previously completely bombed and blew up in their faces so they had to get co-funding from well I got it got dumped onto uh Fox Searchlight and then they had to get partnering from like they got lottery funding they got various like rebates and stuff and uh just yeah they had to scrounge together money from like six different sources they worked on this for quite a while they spent a year generating like 35 drafts of the script which is bonkers spent a year on pre-production three months filming and then a year Year doing editing and special effects and Boyle found it all so exhausting he said he would never make a sci-fi film again even if he is uh, satisfied with the final product.
1: I know one of the stories behind this movie is that like they actually like lock the cast up. Yep. But, like uh, how long do they lock them up for? Like, It wasn't the entire year I assume it was they, like just They made them live together
0: I think it's implied to be either weeks or months but not too long but yeah he made them live together and like they got physics lectures from Brian Cox and, and went on on submarines, and did zero-G training, and scuba diving, and all sorts of shit, and made them watch movies, and yeah, it was a whole, whole thing as they saw uh, after this like diverse cast. Um, not too diverse though, because the studio made them all speak with American accents for the most part, and it feels really diverse. But that's what a trip white dominance is in movies, because there are actually more white people in the main cast than anyone else. Still, it's just that there happen to be three Asian characters, and then whatever ethnicity they're going to claim. Cliff,
1: uh, <laughs> Cliff is in this movie. Well, is Cliff? I mean, like the, the... They do a lot of stuff in Australia. Maybe he is actually from New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's,
0: but I just think that's crazy, because, I mean, that's one of the the renowned things and praised things about this. Oh, it's so diverse. It's like, yeah, there's like five white people, though, <laughs> on this cast of about ten or less. But yeah. Would you like a little fun fact about every cast member?
1: I, I found some actually pretty good ones. I live this movie okay. for a hot minute I'm going to do my backstory of this movie so in 2007 I got a little bit obsessed with like Lux a. Turner right from the Record for a Dream soundtrack of course so this trailer drops for this movie with Lux a. Turner in the background and I'm just like this is this looks so cool like this trailer is so good to, to little 15 year old Ben <laughs> that basically when the movie comes out only one cinema nearby is playing it I beg my dad to drive me over there force him to sit and watch it. something he, he's not a sci-fi guy he's not a horror guy to sit <laughs> and watch this movie with Unlucky. <laughs> me. Unlucky. <laughs> just sit and watch this movie with me. He looks so bewildered and I'm just like completely bowled away by it and like I get the movie on DVD the moment it comes out on DVD. I'm actively annoyed that the soundtrack is held up in legals for like yeah, a year and a, a half. Yeah, and, and like the, some of the, the soundtrack to this movie is phenomenal. Yep, most like,
0: parts of this movie are phenomenal.
1: <laughs> yeah, like Adagio, <laughs> in, is it Adagio in D minor or G minor? It's okay. one of the two. Is is like, again, it's become a trailer song as well as the fact that like in Kick-Ass there's a scene where where Hit Girl does her, like, thing to save her dad, and I think, like... They got. They fell so in love... Matthew Vaughn fell so in love with them temp-tracking this song onto the um onto the movie that they just bought the rights to it rather than actually come up with a score. <laughs> I like when that happened. Um, maybe John Murphy worked on Kick-Ass as well, but I think it is one of those mm. things where like, we'll temp-track it and they're like, no, this really works. Just remix it a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I-, I was obsessed with this movie back in 2007. I still think this is... like This is the first 15 I saw in the cinema after I turned 15. Mm. Hot Fuzz I saw before I turned 15 in the cinema. This is yeah. the first movie that I was old enough to see <laughs> in a cinema by five days <laughs> I saw it on TV really late
0: at night one night I was like what the holy fuck is this why isn't this like the biggest movie on earth and then the end came and I was like oh, okay so you will probably know all of this trivia but I'm just gonna run it down are we going with Killian or Cillian Murphy by the way Killian. Killian Murphy became an atheist after doing all of his research into physics and stuff did you know that I did Rose Byrne thought it was a rom-com before she read the script because of the title <laughs> didn't
1: know
0: that one okay Michelle Yeoh's or Went so well, Danny Boyle said, pick any character in the script, male or female, and you can have the part. You that one? Chris Evans is legitimately dunking into cold water at the bit at the end, and his teeth chattering and all that is 100% legit. You that one? Okay, I was stretching there. I was going to go with Chris Evans, went on to become Captain America, but. (laughs) What? Uh Cliff Curtis, in the scene where he uh, gets, you know, completely fucked up with all the dust and stuff, Uh, he blocked his nostrils and ears with cotton wool so they could legit just absolutely bombard him with dust from every angle to make it look real. That one, one. super super stretching. Mark Strong is in another movie called Sunshine that came out in 1999. Didn't know that one. Yeah. And uh, Pinbacker's injuries are based on Nicky Lauder, which Benedict Wong, this is the worst fact of all, sorry, but he believes his character committed suicide uh, rather than being killed by Pinbacker, but Danny Boyle disagrees. Who knows? Who's right? I agree better one. I do as well. Priyoki Sanada had the spelling of Canada's name altered from it was originally spelled Kanada, like like Canada with a K and he changed he had the E put in to make it a better, like actual faithful Japanese name. hmm Mm-hmm. and my favourite of all Troy Garrity <laughs> <laughs> his character Harvey is named after Harvey Weinstein because Danny Boyle didn't like him after working on the US release of Train Spotting. so they were like let's make the biggest prick in our movie called Harvey ahead of their time
1: by years there. The only thing I know Troy Garrity from oh, after okay. this movie is fucking Ballers where he plays like the lawyer or agent The Rock. Okay. He's also a shit in that movie. And <laughs> he's, he's also I think he's quite TV good show. in
0: this so I'm surprised he isn't more prominent. I'm not saying he's like a star but I thought yeah this,
1: this guy could
0: land TV roles, probably. Anyway, let's get into it. So, Killian Murphy gives us our premise via narration at the beginning. It's 50 years in the future, the sun is going out, as it were, so they deployed a ship called the Icarus, which is supposed to detonate a massive bomb inside of the sun to reignite it, and I think it's been eight years since they failed, so they've launched the Icarus 2, or well, it has been less time than that, but yeah. And that is the ship, which our lovely cast are aboard. I know you get a lot of flack
1: when it's like, oh, avoid over-explaining the plot of the movie, blah 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 blah. blah. It's, it's so lazy. Show, don't tell us, and stuff like this. But yeah. uh, this movie just basically goes like, right here's the premise. all you need to know. We're off now. Yep. And I and I so appreciate that because it could have been like ten minutes of them sat on Earth, kind of going, like, "We need to send a second payload after <laughs> off off the sun." Instead, it's just like, no, I want to get on with it. There's seven people alone on a spaceship. It's well, going- he
0: he deliberately he went out of his way to never cut back to Earth, which is a thing that you often see in these space movies. To like, let's break up the. Term Let's have a couple of Earth scenes. He tried to keep exterior shots of the ship to a minimum, to just, like, really keep you inside these corridors. And he didn't even want to do stars in the background. Like, he wanted just just pure black, just to really convey that, like, they are deep out there in space, but he had to relent to sort of show motion of the ship. But narration can work, and I think Killian Murphy delivers it really well in this sort of low energy. It's,
1: it's not done for dramatic effect. It's just kind of like, this is what it is. Like here we go. There are eight people on the ship, not seven. I will miscount. We'll we'll just randomly stab which cast member I forgot. This time it was... Harvey. Yes, every time it's Harvey. It will always be Harvey. So our
0: first character we actually see is Searle, played by uh, Cliff, who is just sitting there in the observation room like cranking up the intensity. Like they've got this really good solar shielding because obviously they're going near the sun, and he's like thinking, he's like drinking it all, and it's like, oh this is so intense, and it's like you're at 2%. and he wants to go
1: up to four and it's like no
0: you will die so he can go to 3.1 for a few seconds and it's yeah just...
1: 3.1 for 30 seconds without having permanent wrestle damage <laughs> yeah and he's wearing
0: uh, like goggles or sunglasses or whatever so and
1: that's the first thing this movie does so well is it basically just kind of goes like people are going to think like well the sun that's that thing in the sky that yeah. just kind of like makes me feel warm sometimes and this movie's <laughs> just like right let's show them how fucking powerful the sun can be yeah so when he goes up to 3.1% it's like the brightest thing you've ever seen in your entire life on a screen
0: yeah and it like physically hits him and then like he takes this back to the crew and he's talking to them about these like solar baths he has and how it's like such a spiritual experience and everything and like this like like I mean obviously the whole the fascination with looking at the sun that he has will become an ongoing thing and throughout the movie and also it gets us in amongst the crew where this Movie is really shining brightest. Yeah, and, it did it, 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 the,
1: uh, the whole thing. Premise of it being like people have like solitary baths in the dark, and like darkness is the absence of something, whereas sunlight is the it presence of you. Yeah, it
0: gets everywhere. So they're about to reach the point of no return in terms of uh, communications they can send back to Earth, and this leads us to our first of many squabbles between uh, Kappa played by Killian Murphy, and Mace, played by Captain America, Chris Evans. Sorry. So they get into this little fight because I think Capa took too long recording his message and now no one can. And I love
1: that little fights
0: because they're all sort of terrible and everyone's just like, just not yeah, remotely like, like Ro- impressed.
1: Yeah, like phone call to, <laughs> to the captain just being like, there's an excess of men or manliness or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, we've got too like, much manliness or something. Too much man-
1: yeah, it's just like, yeah, so good and... Yeah. <laughs> and Searle gives him
0: two hours in the Earth Room, which is this advanced holographic chamber and it's like, really be- like when he's like reaching out to try and talk touch the waves and then you see on the other side you can like see his hand almost i think it is touching the side um it's just really well done and like this This, movie is fucking beautiful
1: yeah this movie is gorgeous (laughs) it cost 40 million dollars to make but like everything everything most of it's like practical effects and stuff or like not practical effects but like they built the set Mm. it feels lived in it feels really good i I don't know whether or not it's models or cgi for the actual spaceship but like pretty much the only special effect they need to have every so often is like just show off some bright lights really yeah i think they said the sun was the most difficult thing and it was like i think at
0: the time it was the most complex visual effect ever done in the uk or something like that people that like took until captain america or realistically the avengers onwards to be like hey chris evans is really good fucking sleeping on him because he is so good in this movie and like they hit gold with these two as a pairing with with killian murphy and chris evans because him coming to him to apologize afterwards and be like squabbling about who gets to apologize and he's like no i'm the one apologizing and then and then they're just like looking at the floor for a second you're like was that the apology yeah and then he just walks off <laughs> yeah i like...
1: think the, thi- the thing with chris evans is i don't think like, this is the first time i saw him used well because i hadn't seen not another team movie at this point mm. which, which he's
0: it is what it is but like he is like wearing all the hats and like leading that movie and it's like yeah well done you are young to do this yeah
1: and he is fantastic Four. he's the best of the four of them really easily yeah but then after this he doesn't really get much of a chance to kind of do anything interesting like until Scott Pilgrim I mean oh. I, I, I've, not, I've not seen The Losers but I bet he's good in it I bet
0: you, I bet if we dig out all these Chris Evans movies no one's seen he's good in every single one of them
1: yeah that's the thing is like when when he gets Captain America it's like oh it's Fantastic Four and I, the thing is I, in the back of my mind I was like oh no I really liked him in Sunshine and that's kind of like what I went to as being like my trust for him because he threads the needle of being bit militant being, and also yeah, like, a little he's, bit he's, like he's, impulsive supposed, he's supposed to be the guy who's kind of like holding up what the plot of the movie is and you're supposed to kind of dislike him for it, but but he's right. The movie, cut, the, yeah, the movie makes a point of like he's correct. Like yeah. every single thing he says is the right move that they, they should always, do. If
0: they just listen to every single one of his opinion, well, maybe not every one of his opinions, but like every time he asserts what they should do, if they'd done that, they'd probably all, maybe not all of them, but most of them
1: would have survived. Like I mean, like step step one, the mission is this. We don't do this, and then and yeah, then, like, but this is the yeah, person
0: so, that should do this, and this is the person that shouldn't do this, and this is what's important. And oh, he's so good, and and him. You know, they foreshadow the heck out of it. He drops his spanner, his wrench for you guys, into the water that is, like, icy cold. And, like, he puts his hand in it for, like, a second and it's, like, burning and stuff. And it's like, right, well, that'll come back. You also see at this point... I think they do a good job of, like, identifying kind of what they're all... I don't want to say they all have a flaw, but they all have some kind of psychological thing going on. And you see Captain Canada, he is obsessed with the fate of the Icarus One. Like when they talk about it, he's... Or Michelle Yeoh is very like, oh, you're thinking about them or whatever. And You see him watching video logs of Captain Pinbacker, uh, Mark Strong, who was the captain of the Icarus One. You know, just seeing him like lying awake, <laughs> like watching these and then like he tries out the sunbath which in itself seems like a crazy thing and it's like wow hmm, you're not quite right so it's like you know you can kind of see the psyche of the captain is is not I'm not saying he's like on the verge of a breakdown but it's like you know we, we are identifying the sort of Weaknesses or the or the the things that will be tugged at for each
1: character. Yeah, like the, the eight characters in this movie, they do so well to sketch them as quickly as they do. Like obviously, there are a few actors in this movie that don't get as much to do with other people. Like at the end of the day, Killian Murphy, Chris Evans, are the two most sketched. Yep. out of anyone, and then obviously like there's a couple of characters who get to go on the missions and whatnot. Who yeah. get a little bit more shady Oh god, the
0: when they literally leave the women behind, it's like. Oh my god. <laughs> and the women, the the girls are both like doing a lot with nothing, almost, or well, not nothing, but little. Yeah, right? I mean, like
1: we'll we'll get to their role in the plot of it, and I think <laughs> Rose Byrne does a hell of a lot with like her one big kind of emotional prox scene. But yeah, like very much, they are not part of the action. They don't get a lot to do. Uh, Michelle Yeoh's like final scene in this movie is a travesty. Mm-hmm. Do better, um, Danny. Do better. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, like the movie is diverse, but two of the Asian characters get put on ice very quickly
0: mm-hmm.
1: so they pass mercury
0: and that opens up communications uh so harvey is the communications sort of operative or whatever um and he picks up a signal that he believes is the a distress signal from the Akras one that was like being blocked from the other side or whatever and they argue about whether or not they should sort of divert to try and board it and it's ultimately decided the decision should lie in the hands of kappa as he is I guess like the physicist the chief physicist on board I really like them gathering around to like look at Mercury together and and Canada like unveiling it to them and them just sort of like being mesmerized by it because it's like they've been does Chris Evans say they've been in space for like 16 months or something like that
1: it it must have been quite a while yeah yeah. so it's like you know
0: it must have got I mean they've gone from Earth to the Sun and like you know they've just gotten to Mercury so they've seen Venus presumably at some point but just seeing them like all like light up when you see Mercury it's probably like the last time they're all like actually enjoying themselves and then you have them arguing and you know as we said mace chris evans is the first to say, like, no, we're not diverting, we are gonna carry out the mission. And then you have Searle's argument that it would give them two chances, because this is all, as in all of these movies, purely based on, like, theoretical physics and stuff, and, like, in theory, this bomb will do this, in theory, the bomb will work this way. And he's saying, if we get aboard the Eucharist One, we've got two ships, we've got two chances, which is a sound argument. But then he also, I really like the touch when he insists, we're not voting, we're scientists, we're gonna make the best decision with the data that we have, or whatever. That it leads to two cap being the one to have to choose and Alex Garland said that he really liked the idea of the fate of the world resting in one man's hand and then like exploring the psychological effect that would have because it's like yeah that is ostensibly a chosen one story but it's like a different version of that or like focusing on a different aspect of it
1: yeah like, it's, it's, it's interesting because obviously Killian Murphy has a lot of he's got the most expositional role in the entire movie really because he does the opening narration and like we literally walk into him kind of doing the science projection of being like once you hit this point you can't mathematically project whether or not it will work and so it's like it could fail and this entire mission's been pointless and and so it's so obviously he does make the decision to kind of go like no we're gonna go pick up this second atom this not a second atom bomb we're gonna make the decision to pick up this second essentially pa- like payload. the rest yeah the, the rest of the fissile elements yeah they
0: because the Icarus one you know it went off and then when they decided they needed to send another ship they say they used all the fissile material on the earth so this is the last chance they have at doing this, there will be no Icarus 3. And it does come down to him, for him, to that just simple logic of two bombs is better than one. So yeah, he... he- he says, let's go ahead with it, and after adjusting the trajectory to line up with the first One, Trey, Benedict One, he realises too late that he's not accounted for adjusting the angle of the solar shields by one degree, or like 1.3 degrees or something like that, so they're gonna have to go outside and check on the damage that was done, because the ship has, like, temporarily, it's not gone offline, but it's, like, got a blind spot or something, so they have it's, to... It's
1: like, it's like, wrestle back control from them, and if they don't find out whether or not there's damage, then they're fundamentally Flying a flawed ship, yes,
0: indeed. And um, I love,
1: I love that the movie kind of makes a point of like going like it's it like one point one percent or one point one degrees I was off by, but that's and the everything. movie's just <laughs> and it's everything. And the movie makes a big point of going like this could have fucked them. That amount of difference could have caused the entire ship to just explode.
0: Yeah, one percent more of the solar shields when Saul is doing his solar bath. You know, one degree of adjusting the shield. They're like, yeah, they they don't want it to be big and sexy. They want it to be scientific. And you know, many scientists have criticised this movie, but Brian Cox comes to its defence, so that's good enough for me. I really like when you have Kappa and Cassie sort of confessing they both have these, like, nightmares about the surface of the sun. It's, like, audibly jarring when you, like, see that nightmare where he's just screaming at the top of his lungs and it's, like, come out of nowhere and a bit haunting. Um, Benedict Wong is really good here when he's, like, assuming the blame and being like, I fucked up, I fucked up. Yeah, he's, like, a completely different human being to how you know when later in his career. I don't know if he gets the least to do, but I think he's good in this. This is his one like highlight scene.
1: He is really good. It's funny because he kind of makes a career of doing these kind of like British sci-fi movies before he finally gets picked up later on because I think he's going to be in another movie we discuss in the next couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's so interesting to look at him here where he has the least flashy role of any of the main cast, but he completely sells this kind of one scene. And like you can see, even though we've only had like one scene of him kind of like smiling and being happy and stuff like that, he completely sells just how emotionally devastated he is by how much he's, he's kind of like messed up at this point. Yeah. And how he so totally blames himself.
0: And I really like, you know, when they do go out and, and they think everything's gonna be okay, I like Chris Evans and him like comforting him and be like, Hey man, everything's gonna be okay.
1: I'm I also try. love Chris Evans because obviously <laughs> like I also love Trey kind of like initially goes like I'll go out, it's my fault and then Mace kinda goes like, No, 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 I'll I volunteer I volunteer Kappa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like bickering throughout this entire movie. It's fantastic. Get them back together because they have some chemistry. So yeah, they Canada as captain volunteers to go out, and then yeah, Kappa gets volunteered, and they they go outside, and you know they they spend a lot of time showing you them like suiting up and slowly going outside, and like I how physically difficult it is. Yeah, the Kenny from South Park spacesuit. The level of care they've put into the production design for this movie is crazy and like trying to compromise between what is expected of this kind of movie like slow motion when they're floating and the sounds of the ship going like whoosh versus like some more realistic stuff and it's an intense little bit of the movie as they head outside to repair these shield panels and fire breaks out in the O2 garden uh, which forces them to well Mace is the one that he sort of gets his way here like there's this quick argument between him and uh, Corey and Michelle Yeoh and and Harvey and it's like he's like no we've lost it already just flood it with O2 make it burn out quicker just gonna have to give it up and then the fucking the shot of Michelle Yeoh behind that glass as it's just engulfed in flames it's really like unnerving but it's beautiful but it's just it it makes you feel kind of uncomfortable seeing this fire like coming at her from every angle
1: again every single aesthetic design in the first two thirds of this movie is so good that room that's just engulfed in fire and she's trapped in that little glass box and then the kind of the glass breaks and the smoke comes fills in and she has to like run back a little bit yeah the bizarre
0: but lovely design of the ship itself like this giant yeah. dish with like a little tail essentially that is the main yeah. ship you know the and swelling the, and, music and, and yeah and yeah then... this,
1: is, this is this is the first time that the adagio kind of like theme comes in is mm. around now just as like because obviously like now they've had to move the ship back caneda and kappa have to kind of like finish what they're doing and get back in the ship really really quickly
0: yeah and like uh but Kappa is, like, having a difficult time of it, clearly, and Canada sends him back, which is, you know, a good thing for the plot of the movie, because Canada moments later gets just fucked up by the sun. Is again, it's beautiful, just like a sea of fire just washing over... And he's
1: gone. And it's... Yeah. And, and like, but, like, like, because we've had that hint that he's, like, both him and Sel are kind of, like, obsessed with the idea of being engulfed by sunlight.
0: Yeah, and he, like, asks his dying moment. It's like, what do you see? Or, like, what's it like? Yeah,
1: Sel wants to know what he sees, but Kaneda has made the point of kind of, like, staring directly at the sun. Yeah. Because, like, at that point, it's like, you're told not to do this your entire life, and you're the closest you'll ever be to the sun, mm-hmm. and you know you're gonna die. You might as well get to see what that looks like yeah. before you go. This this fundamental force of nature that we yeah. will never kind of understand in any kind of, like, significant way. You might as well get this experience of... Just
0: staring it right in the face, yeah. And yeah, exactly. Boyle talked about trying to make the sun almost deity-like uh, when making it, and it's, it's very apparent, like, like you said, like the them trying to demonstrate like the sheer power of the sun. It just. Like, he's just gone like there's no like uh, yeah it's it's crazy so I like that
1: and the movie makes so many design choices about being in space like this I think this might be the first movie I saw where space was silent for um, the most part yeah yeah for the, mo- for the most part the space certainly silent they made a point of kind of like that kind of stuff and I know that a lot of other things have made the decision to kind of like do that to portray space realistically but when you're 15 years old and your experience of space movies is called, <laughs> like Star Wars and Fifth Element like <laughs> you can do worse than the Fifth Element but still just that moment Well, like even though the movie's been silent and kind of like getting around space that moment where even the force of just the sun hitting the front of the ship forcing Kappa kind of like to go flying is
0: yeah we are down a captain and, uh, so Harvey assumes command. I don't know how the communications officer is second in command, but hey-ho. So he briefs the crew, declaring that they no longer have enough oxygen to complete their mission without rendezvousing with the Reacurus One, so that's their decision doubly made for them. Trey has been sedated because he's a suicide risk, and you get Corey Corazon privately talking to Mason Cassie, saying that technically we could make it if three more of us die. <laughs> and it's like, jeez, is this a thing we're considering? And I- I like the idea that, like, you know, is she potentially taking this to the two people who are, like, most rational about it? But but then, like, if, when you consider how Cassie votes later on, it's like, well, no, I don't think that is the case. It's just, is this just a conversation that they got talking about in the corridor? I don't know, but... Yeah, th- th-
1: there's, there's two things, but, like, I, Benedict Wong manages to sell just how gutted Trey is mm-hmm. by the death of Kaneda. That, like, you can kind of buy that he's a suicide risk that quickly, but it is kind of, like, all done off screen, and it's, like, the last significant... I <laughs> see yeah, you uh, when
0: you're a corpse.
1: <laughs> yeah, again, it's it's that kind of like weird moment where like he sells the sadness, but we don't get to see him do anything with it, really, which is kind of a shame. So they board the Icarus one, men only. It's uh no
0: women allowed spaceship. And they split up to check on the payload, the garden, the engines, and the communal areas. I like that they left the botanist behind on their ship and the communications officer checks the garden. <laughs> <laughs> Suspiciously all of the systems are fine pretty much. Uh, there's plenty of air, there's plenty of food, there's plenty of water, and there is, at this moment, no sign of any corpses. And you get these spli- flashes, Yes, split-second flashes of, like, pictures of the crew. And the first one's really disturbing because he looks like he's, like, covered in
1: blood. And I don't think he actually is, it's just, like... It's, it's it's so quick, and it's so oversaturated. In my in the back of my mind, every single time I re-watch this movie, I'm just kind of like, I feel like this would have been fun if they managed to get more big actors. Yeah. If they'd gotten roles. cameos by people yeah for
0: sure if, if if this movie comes out today with this exact cast so it gets a way bigger budget and more box office attention and stuff yeah for sure they get like a little uh, fun set of cameos for the yeah like you, you chuck you chuck like Hugh McGregor in there like yeah. you, you get him in for a day to take this photo
1: um,
0: <laughs> so the Icarus is carved in this thick layer of dust that is pronounced by Cell to be human skin it does a great job of conveying how long the ship has just been afloat that there's this much dust or, or human skin and just there and the garden is beautiful that it's just like completely unchecked for seven years and it's huge and there's ferns and everything. But amidst this, they also, this is where we start, everything starts to go wrong. Uh, they find a garbled video of Pinbacker, the captain, who has clearly gone completely insane, stating on a video log that they have abandoned their mission and that we are stardust and we will return and all this. And Mace ident- uh, is able to verify that the Icarus One was deliberately sabotaged and the crew let themselves. They find, <laughs> eventually, find the bodies. Uh, the crew let themselves die, and they are sitting on the bench in their observation room. And uh, the the sort of corpses we see here are. It's very clear from looking at them. Inspired by uh, Pompeii with their sort of preservation and all that. Uh, And it's like, yeah, things are about to take a turn, but for now we get to stay in the realm of, like, realistic sci-fi, because the two ships detach from each other, and uh, we get this intense scene where they are forced to launch themselves out of the airlock back into their own ship, with only one suit between them, and Searle has to stay behind and operate the door, and Harvey misses the target and drifts off and then shatters, which is (laughs) super fucked up.
1: Yeah, like, it's the whole thing where, like, his Arm just kind of like explodes and there's blood and
0: space is fucked up, man.
1: Like ah. the, that's that's my other my other thing in this movie is this movie plays with temperature so damn well. Yeah. Because not only do multiple people burn alive, but multiple people freeze to death. Because mm-hmm. it's like this is the fundamental dichotomy of space, yeah. where space is freezing. It's mm-hmm. so cold, and yet the hottest thing in the universe happens frequently. Yes. <laughs> You get more of these just great scenes like,
0: Mace just immediately being like, right, well, Cap gets the suit. Kappa gets the suit. Yeah, because he's the payload specialist, so he's the most important person on the crew. And Harvey, being the dickhead that he is, is like, I'm not expendable. I should get the suit. And it's just so... I'm, I,
1: the, I'm the captain. it's like, no, but you're a communications officer. That's that's your role to the ship. <laughs> and is we're the, in a dark zone. <laughs> we're in a dark zone, and we're not gonna get back into a, into a zone where we can communicate. You are not useful.
0: You can see a version where, like, defend it descends into physicality, but like, he does actually stand down in the end, and Mason and Harvey start wrapping themselves up in the lining of the ship, like Yeah, because they're they're going to shoot
1: themselves Yeah,
0: and they're just like, clutching onto each of his arms, and they're just literally going to be launched out by the force of of the oxygen leaving the the airlock, and just aim for the tiny hole. I
1: I am going to fundamentally disagree with the decision by Cell to stay behind to launch them, though. Even at the end of the day, if your crew's heading towards a, a firm death sentence you're going to need a psychiatrist or a psychological officer and doctor more than you're going to need a communications <laughs> yeah. officer
0: yeah because I mean he says oh I guess it's me staying behind There, he's like no I'm going to do it I think he knows what he wants to do with his, uh, his final moments and he does go on to do it because he takes note from the crew of the Icarus One sits down on that bench lets himself be bombarded by the sun And, you know, it hits him so hard and so fast, and then, like, we cut away from it pretty quick. And the heartbreaking message from Cassie of, like, you know, we're leaving now, Cell, we love you, and, like, he doesn't talk back, and it's not clear if he can even hear them, or if we're just hearing it and he can't, and it's, yeah, it's fucked up, man. (laughs) So the survivors agree that the detachment was caused manually, and they suspect Trey. And Corey points out that with these losses, if Trey were to die, they would now have enough oxygen to make it. Because that's the thing, they went over to the Icarus One to get the payload, to get their oxygen, to get their water, their food, whatever. But they came back with none of it. <laughs> so uh, they actually take a vote to kill Trey, but instead they find him dead from what they believe is a suicide. And I think this is potentially the last great scene in the movie,
1: because you get... I think there's one more great scene. There's okay. two more great scenes.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, but the before the big turn is about to happen, but yeah. you, know, you get Kappa pointing out that, like, well it turns out we're exactly like the Icarus One and, and that pisses Mace off and, you know, him, Kappa being surprisingly cold-blooded in his assessment about whether or not they should kill Trey, because it's like, yeah okay, he is Captain Scientist, but like he's like no choice kill him and it's like oh geez like you're not a typical movie protagonist
1: are you no but that's that's what I really love about this movie is this movie oh, they, they make they make these hard decisions and they're so little and even then like you, you can see Cassie is like she understands she's she understands she's so close to saying yes I feel yeah and in the end she's just like I can't do it I can't. You can't
0: have my vote I know you need my vote and you can't have it it's like oh geez
1: and she so totally sells that moment and Rose Byrne is so so ill-serviced in this in that she kind of plays she's almost a love interest for Kappa but then they decided last minute they don't want a love story and it's like but
0: you've clearly got the DNA of one left over or the skeleton of one that yeah. you and, abandoned uh,
1: and, and like she doesn't get she isn't anywhere near as shafted as like Michelle Yeoh is very soon and she does get this scene where like that single tear running down her cheek as she goes like I can't give you my vote knowing that she sentenced herself to death yeah um, she's she's really good and yeah. uh, is, is this the issue? Yes. She gets the damages? Yeah, she's on damages from this year, and she's really good on damages. In fact, I think she does two projects with Danny Boyle this year, which is 28 weeks later as well. As an
0: apology for fucking her over in sunshine, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And then, oh my god, when Mace finds Trey and then literally takes. Like wipes his hand on his blood on the floor and, and puts it onto Kappa's hand and is like, this is where this belongs. And it's just like, such a that is a, like, gutturally like, fuck you, like, a devastatingly, like, offensive thing to do, or or, yeah. or a wounding thing, and like you get another one of these, like, really terrible fights where, like, they're not even throwing punches they're just, like, pushing and shoving and tussling, and the women just calmly walking by and being like you're using the oxygen too much, like fucking stop
1: it! Yeah, and like, like they <laughs> collapse on the ground and they just walk off and they just like stop being yeah. children. But like the movie makes a point of focusing on the the, the very weird vibrating scalpels, which I don't feel as yeah. anything to like what no, a scalpel needs to do. It's just gonna um, be a little horror movie moment. Uh, there's, but there's stuff. there's two there's two missing, not just one. There's two, and it's noticeably two. And then, but yes. I, I love he's in the room and he's in the earth room or whatever. Yes. And and the birds are flying and like it's like he needed that one last it's, it's what sells to me that it was a suicide is that even though we know who is implicated to kill him, maybe would I know just how don't to buy work. It.
0: it doesn't seem yeah, right would, would know compared how to, to how seems, you see behave.
1: It seems so Isn't calculated. It- like whereas every decision that Pinbacker makes after this is not this calculated. No, I feel exactly.
0: He's just flashy. he's just a crazy wild animal. So let's move into what is renowned as the best portion of this movie. Everyone loves it. No one has ever said, "Oh, it's crazy when this suddenly
1: changes into a different movie." That, that's the thing. Is like I wish we had a different opinion on this movie. I wish we could say like <laughs> this this turn feels cuz the thing is I can explain why they make all the decisions they make in the second half of the th- oh, in the in the final act of this movie. I just don't think it lands at all tonally with the kind of like the, the claustrophobic yeah that's what I'll offer up
0: the closest thing I can come to like having a different opinion is I think they definitely could have made a space slasher movie work it's just it's come far too late and it's such a tonal shift from everything else they were doing if you had made that movie from the start I think these two and this cast could have made that work and equally I think they had enough here to carry through the super realistic just space is hard psychological drama to the end but it's just this that to just mush those two parts together and to do it so late on. Not even, like, a midway twist or, like, a oh, it turns out they were hiding a different kind of movie in the movie. Like, stuff like that can work. It's just, it comes so late and it's such
1: tonal whiplash to, like, it, 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 welcome yeah, to such, a slash. It's such tonal movie. whiplash. Pinbacker is not interesting. The most character development he gets is that we see Kaneda and Sells' Sun Madness, really. Like, is, is the only way to describe it.
0: Ocean Madness. But yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's that it's the whole thing is because like so Kappa is sat in the bomb, kind of like t- testing some stuff, and I, then
0: I I do kind of like this tropey little moment where it's like, no, there are five members on board, and it's like I love I love the computer it doesn't say it subtly; it's just like you're dying. <laughs> like, that, that's how it introduces this concept. It's like you're dying, Kappa. Yes, four would theoretically do it, but there are five members on board, and like when he's talking about it and asking the questions and, and everything, you see these. Brief moments of the the observatory with all the fire. I think I remember digging that, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" And then, we, so yes, yeah. there is a fifth person on board, and it is Pinbacker who is in the observatory, and he played attacked. by
1: Mark Strong. He yeah. is wearing I prosthetics, see, like, prosthetics, so. but the camera did, is never he naked? Wants to is sit he sit supposed in. to be? Naked? I think he's naked. Yeah. I think he's fully naked. Camera does not want you to see his entire body at all. The movie looks ugly. anytime it has to look at Pinbacker and it- I get is it's like he's absorbed so much of the sun's energy from being Gears essentially living in the uh, in the sunroom he's impossible to look at in that way like is, he's is- giving
0: off light yeah is this visual effect meant to be I mean when we talk about music we talk about diegetic and non-diegetic is this just for us the shimmery thing where you literally can't actually even pinpoint him or is this how the characters perceive him
1: I feel like it has to be just for us
0: I think so too because it's like it's so overmuch. you know and like it's a different visual thing that they're going for I just think it whiffs and they commit so hard to making it so fucking difficult to figure out what the hell is going on and it's just when Kappa first walks into that room and you can't even perceive what is happening what the shape of this person is where Kappa is in relation to him in the room I think that it's like oh this is good and different but when it's when they start moving through the ship and like physically interacting with him it's like this has dramatically stopped working yeah
1: I think I think the, 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 it starts to get bad the moment where like he lashes out and slashes. Capper's chest. Yeah, it's
0: like I could have done with it suddenly like locking into place or something. Like like all the effects drop and suddenly here's this like real fucked up looking dude. <laughs> but yeah. no, like, they keep a, it a, abstract.
1: The other thing I'm intrigued by is, do you think that Pinback has spent time in like a fully turned off sunroom?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, there is this idea that like you know he has <laughs> mutated or something, and it's like this should kill him, but the gradual exposure has made him like able to take more and more, and
1: like because because is... that's the thing is because obviously Cell dies by going in. Into their sunroom, so when the shield disappears, he just fully gets bathed in light. But then there's the question yeah, of like when what- Kappa's
0: leaving the room, he's like full light. And he goes like but then he's fine
1: yeah but like Pinback is like also like he must have spent time in on his ship in that sunroom for him to be this fucked up unless he was like hiding somewhere else most of the time
0: I just assume it was like constant low levels that gradually ramped up and up and up I don't think he's sitting there with the full beam on and just like making a sandwich or anything yeah
1: and the thing is, I, and there's so many things in this movie that I just appreciate kind of like working and hinting towards this but they go so full on with it I love that Cliff Curtis anytime you see him from a certain point this movie in the in the movie like his skin is peeling off yeah. and then we find out what the actual culmination of that would be when mark strong shows up yeah. <laughs> Oof. Oof.
0: so Pinbecker gets to work sabotaging the ship he removes the icarus two computers from their coolant tanks and it's like they are so powerful that they need to be constantly submerged in ice cold water otherwise they just overclock and melt he murders barry Mace dies restoring the computers so Corey's dying moments coming you know she finds this like lone sprout or shoot Anyone nice good moment ash. I yeah, do, it, do enjoy that sitting there just like in disbelief and then is just walking up behind the Asian woman and just stabbing her it's like yep fuck you bite and she dies holding the little green thing or she's like in this weird little pose where she's kneeling and holding it and it's like yeah
1: bye Michelle yo surprisingly similar to another movie I saw this year where um Andre Benjamin just gives up and buries himself oh good wonderful stuff
0: let's treat minorities this way kappa having it's a
1: it's a weird movie (laughs) Ron Pattinson chucks off oh good what the hell was
0: this movie oh that one high life (laughs) yeah that one okay kappa having to talk to mace through the microphone in one of the suits i thought was a good touch it's not just this magical like communication system where you can talk anywhere and then mace lowering himself into that icy water and not just once but twice you know like he's on the third one isn't he yeah he, he does it well yeah doing it three times but like you think about how they treat that first shot where like yeah. he quickly snatches that spanner out of the water and he's like looking at his hand like he's burnt it and then to like put his whole body in there and get out and then it's like it's not doing it once it's that he's come out and he puts himself back in and then does it a third
1: time it's yeah like he th- th- that t- I've done kind of like plunge pools and stuff like that and the amount of restraint it takes to not immediately kind of like lift yourself out of it and I know he's fully clothed and everything like that but he's already suffering from like he's suffering from cold burns already from the yeah his thumb is
0: like super frostbitten or I feel if they if he'd survived longer they might have had to amputate his hand or his thumb or something uh, from the exposure to space but yeah like seeing him just go in repeatedly and like get slower and get weaker each time as he like pulls himself back out and yeah it's super fucked up yeah he? and
1: he's talking capra and saying like you need to figure a way out of this room that you've locked yourself into because or oh, not he not, locks him in the airlock doesn't he yeah he's in the airlock and rather than sending him off into space he just locks him in there <laughs>
0: yeah exactly he's like yeah you're fucked bye mace was originally scripted to just it just gets so cold that he just can't get out of the water and he just dies or or something like that and danny boyle like fell so in love with how evans had portrayed mace throughout that he was like i think it would take more than that so they come up with this conceit of like the main frame like lowers and traps his leg and it's it's not done in an overly graphic
1: way it's just yeah you the see visual his, you see is his...
0: really haunting you know yeah
1: you see his leg at core it cuts away and then it comes cuts back and like there's just the you just can't see the it blood. through the blood it's just
0: this cloud of blood and it's like we're not going to show you his leg but like that implication is so powerful and like seeing him and it's like does he die from blood loss does he die from the cold of just not being able to get himself fully out like it, we don't know it's it's just yeah it's a super fucked up situation you see him like still talking to Kappa while he's dying and stuff and goodbye
1: cuz um, I like, he and just you. he just freezes to death and Kappa has to make the decision to like, I need to get out of this, I need to blow the airlock. He doesn't know where Cassie is at this point, because Cassie's run off and jumped in Cassie's having a
0: lovely little chase scene with fucking Pinbacker that is just garbage. Like, the worst of the Pinbacker stuff, I think, when, you know, you can't see what's even happening, and you know, like Danny Boyle said, like, they struggled with, like, traditionally you convey terror with darkness, and this is a character that is, like, made of light, almost, and it's like, I see you struggled with that and I don't think you found a solution
1: (laughs) yeah but that's because that thing is like you get a close up of Kappa looking at like the little thing saying like you need to equalize the pressure between the two rooms or don't compromise the hull he breaks out the blowtorch puts a hole
0: yeah and you see Michelle Yeoh's corpse like thud by and it's like oh "Oh, wonderful
1: this this sequence here so when when Pidbacker's fucked off into the bomb and it's just Kappa doing science to kind of like get himself out of the situation is playing around
0: as Matt Damon in The Martian yeah and then
1: (laughs) and then Adagio kicks in and yeah this this for me is is the emotion
0: crushes it here when he has fallen down and he is like drooling and swearing and like headbutting the front of his suit like conveying the like how physically hard it is to just move around in one of these suits. I, he is so good here. Like he's really good throughout. It's just I feel he's kind of understated until yeah. the end here. And like Evans is such a like charisma dynamo that he is yeah, like
1: both Murphy's killer here. Because again, like this this whole <laughs> sequence of him like walking through the ship and then you get to, you like he he passes he passes by where Mace is, doesn't he, on his way over there?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, because he has to fuck around with the computer to like make the payload detach, and he's got like four minutes to get there or something he falls over and it's a ticking clock and we know how heavy these suits are because they're designed for space travel not for and then he jumps
0: it's just the kind of thing you don't normally see and like you see these people just like you know they plod a bit but like their range of movement is so different to how it I presume it would actually be and it is refreshing to see this where just even the act of standing up is such a physical strain for him and he really conveys the hell out of it this is like just one of the hardest possibly the physically hardest thing he's done in his life is forcing himself back up to his feet here Yeah, and then and and then the jump happens. The the jump
1: is, uh, but the the jump is so fucking phenomenal. Like adore everything about how tense this scene is. It, it tenses me every time I see it. Like, yeah. it's it's so well done. You could have and, done
0: all of this without Pinbacker, man. I know! I, it, <laughs> would so, just... It's
1: just so frustrating that there's, like, I'm sure you could figure out a way to have the spaceships detach and have someone get locked in the air, air vent or in yeah, the... Yeah, just space in the is
0: hard. Stuff goes wrong. Like, they didn't plan for this. Like, you could even have kept the stuff with Pinbacker going crazy. It's just he's not still alive. Like, He just went insane.
1: He he burnt his crew alive because of sun madness or whatever. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then just have that as like an existential crisis, like hanging over them, of like you know, like the religious aspect. Like Garland really wanted to go huge on the religion stuff, and Boyle was like less comfortable with it because he wanted it to like. He thought it wouldn't find an audience, so he made him trim it back. But it's it's, like, it's, I don't know which one of them pin pinbacker is coming from. I it's suspect frust- it's probably Alex, but
1: But it's, it's frustrating because this feels like it was a decision that was made to appeal to a more mainstream audience. Like yeah, they're, like, they're we need a like, movie we're, monster. Yeah, we're gonna make this a fifteen and we're gonna advertise it as being kind of a little bit scary sci-fi movie kind of like saw what life was a couple of years ago. Except <laughs> they except they don't introduce the villain quick enough. The trailers don't advertise it as being this kind of Thing at all. Instead, it's just kind of like survival say, in space.
0: Pinback is nowhere in the trailer,
1: is it? No. Mm-hmm. And so, so they kind of like pivot in this way. And then you look at Alex Garland's career kind of after this movie, mm-hmm. and it's stuff like Dread and it's stuff like Annihilation. Annihilation has one of the most batshit. Insane, visually gorgeous Act Threes in a movie I've ever seen. I still haven't seen it, and I do really want to. <laughs> it's, I mean, like it, it's not my favourite of his movies, but no. to to not just kind of go like, yeah, no, that Act Three's like, what the fuck were they doing there? That's yeah. insane. I think it improves massively of the book. It's not a movie we're going to discuss is uh, discuss even in Volume Two, but I just have to applaud that it. it's so anti-mainstream in what it does that it makes me think that like maybe the decision to make this more of a, a traditional slash movie might have come from Boyle. I mean, he was definitely pushing that way. Like, he was
0: of the mind of, like, we have to make this find an audience. And it's like...
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's like, hey, I'm known for the zombies recently, so. Yeah, and it, it, it just makes it more frustrating, because this movie does not hit its audience. No. And you kind of wonder, like, this. Movie why did pro- you do this? Like, just double down,
0: make the artsiest fucking thing that no one wants to watch in the world. If it, Like, why even shove this in if no one's gonna watch it anyway? Like,
1: Yeah, because uh, at the end of the day, this movie has lost some of it. I feel like this movie does have its fans. Like, there's a lot of people I know out there who are like, this movie's really good. And there are a lot of people whose taste I agree with, that Sunshine is fantastic. But there It is always the caveat where it's like, oh, but the slash stuff is kind of like a little bit compromised. And it feels like this movie could have become a absolute proper cult classic that people pass around and say, like, have you seen this thing? This is phenomenal. Except it does always come with caveat and being like, it does kind of fall apart they were so close they were right there and they just again I think two thirds of this movie are like a 10 out of 10 space movie this yeah. is like it aesthetically acting wise musically mm-hmm. everything meshes together it's just this one bizarre decision to and kind there's of even like...
0: these good moments in amongst this final bit where it descends into madness like it's not like they've completely gone off the rails and it's just like every time you cut back from the jump to and here's his pinback are just being crazy It's like it just hurts even more. I will say the part of me that likes this kind of dialogue really loves the line for seven years I spoke with God, but I acknowledge how fucking stupid Pinbacker is in general.
1: I just I just quite like that line No, it's good. I think like it gets across the themes really well I just it's just a weird end for him as well because like he he's like dangling him over
0: the edge or whatever
1: right so, so he, yes, yeah, so here's, here's the so obviously this whole sequence is they are flying right into the core of the sun at this yeah, point um, they, the
0: main ship has blown up and they are just in the payload flying directly at the sun
1: so they're falling into they're falling into like intense gravity the ship is kind of or the, it's the like payload a cube, is cube isn't it the cu- yeah the payload is flipping all over the place the movie keeps doing these like pause freeze frames and stuff like that and I think they're going for the idea that like time is like fucking up well they certainly like, go for that at the end <laughs> yeah like time time is messing up and like the, the, they freeze and then they roll, and gravity's messing up as well because they can both stand on two sides of the cube and kind of both be looking at each other. But because of the visual confusion that Pingbacker brings, yes, they don't manage to nail kind of like whether or not pingback is causing this visual confusion or if this is a new element they're introducing as they're falling into the sun.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it do- and I think it does compromise it because they're going for these two aesthetically kind of conflicted visual styles that are stacked on top of each other where. Is we should only be kind of going for one we should only be going for time and space are confusing or we should be going for we can't look at pinbacker because he's too yep. whatever yep. And again said, you
0: can just slice him right out of this and you could have achieved the same things
1: uh, his, arm, his arm skin does fall off yeah he like peels his, his arm skin
0: back to make him drop him and like I don't know what happens with Cassie like how she ends up tumbling and like he barely stops her from falling it's like and they just leave pinbacker up there and it's like does he
1: die is he just well they all die but like that's the thing. it's like everyone, everyone obviously dies because they are in the middle of the sun
0: yeah but it's like if you're gonna do this zombie slasher thing at least give us a satisfying like gruesome death of the monster type thing like have him fall into an explosion or, or, or I don't know but it's just like oh by then yeah. <laughs> or have and him then, like uh,
1: confronted then, with the sun and be like oh you're back and then just get yeah. roasted or something yeah but then we then we go into the center of the payload and and we what get happens with most, Cassie uh, uh, he leaves her? I don't she's, know. She's the, like, yep, yeah, go, go finish it. Yeah. Bye, and then And then we get one of the most visually stunning scenes in the
0: movie. Oh, it's beautiful. When he activates the bomb and, like, you get the electricity all around the walls and then you get, like, the wall of fire that stops in front of him and the wall of atoms that have stopped behind him and him reaching out to... Yeah, this implication... He said earlier that, like, time and space and, and all these things will, like, mash together and it'll be impossible to figure out what will happen and it's like, is this a thing he's perceiving in, like, the last flashes of his his life probably not because this would happen so quickly he wouldn't be able to perceive it but it's like or is legit time stuff happening where he is reaching out and just experiencing fundamental aspects of the universe we will never understand and like you know as a physicist like would this not just bring him immense joy as a final moment and like imagine you take out all the pinbacker stuff you have some slightly different variations on these final scenes and it leads to this like existential moment for
1: this guy and it's like
0: that would have been so good and it is still quite a beautiful like last scene but yeah
1: I like and I adored that like the movie then finally cuts to earth yeah and you get this slow reveal of like it's completely cold outside yeah
0: they're like standing outside Sydney Opera House and it's like covered yeah. in snow and
1: covered in snow they're building snowmen and then they go and look and like you don't know whether or not they've they've got any reason to think that the sun's gonna get a little bit brighter but the Sun does get brighter yeah uh, and randomly then, and
0: they replay the message she was sending earlier and it's his sister isn't it and it's like yeah know, if and, it's but, a particularly like, yeah, beautiful day you'll know we see succeeded, and it's like, it seems just visually very clear that, yes, they've succeeded. They don't actually fully confirm that. Like, that could just be the sun coming up that day, but it's still fucked. Like, I don't- I don't know. It's a good little ending, and, like, it's a nice way to marry together the beginning with the end and everything, but... Yeah, just if only they hadn't leaned into the slasher stuff. And you get this. The, the end credits are weird, man. <laughs> they play like a montage of everything that happened uh, uh, over the credits while this music plays. It's
1: really aggressive. Is it—is it, is it Underworld or is it Iron Clue that starts off the um, closing credits? I don't know. That kind of like. Nah, nah, nah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: just one of many just assaulting your ears type moments.
1: That's the Underworld influence in there.
0: Oh. <sighs> there you go an incredibly flawed almost masterpiece yeah that's the thing
1: it's like if this movie had nailed it's ending this might be my favourite movie that we've covered
0: and I'm just so fiercely attached to most of it and just so just try and edit out the bits I don't like about it and it's like yeah this that's the whole thing of like why this almost got bounced from the list and I just every time we almost cut it I like dug in deeper about
1: no I love this movie yeah because even even I at the end was like no I like the idea of talking about this movie I think like this this is the kind of thing like we have some movies that we're doing which aren't as critically acclaimed as other ones I think this next five movies we're doing is a good mix of like critically acclaimed and and kind of movies that are very much kind of like totemic examples of where cinema was in 2007 Matt Your no, ones I, are the
0: acclaimed ones, my ones are the ones that did really well. No,
1: uh, well, I mean there's also the next movie we're doing, which is both of our pick. Well, wow, sure, sure sure.
0: We are gonna get into a both me you, me, you type thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it very very much i like it was gonna be very obvious, but I think one of one of the my movies is one you've never seen before, yeah. which is gonna be super interesting.
0: <laughs> Won't it just? We haven't done many I think there's been one on here that I hadn't seen and I just trusted you and I was like, Yeah, yeah, it's good. I can't remember what it was now, but Memento. Memento, yes that was it oh yeah we started that way but we're not going to end that way but it is we are more than halfway now I wish I wish they just had more time and maybe not money but just to just really just complete this and make it the movie we all know it could have been
1: yeah like because there's so clearly like everyone involved in this is so bloody talented and I mean like, again like, that. The,
0: it's a murderous role of a cast
1: <laughs> yeah I like but even, even then like the most enduring part of this movie I feel is is that song like yeah. you go to the you go to the sunshine soundtrack and there's just a list of movies that have used Adage or it's Sunshine of Dachio in D minor and it's it's insane I might just go watch all those trailers because yeah. it's, really it's a really fucking good trailer song
0: it's beautiful and I am sure that the entire cast remembers making this fondly even if some of them didn't get the kind of scenes you'd want uh, just uh, the experience of like you know living together and all the training they did and like what a just different kind of movie this was for all of them and you know knowing where a lot of them will go from here
1: I mean um, yeah like Chris Evans becomes one of Biggest movie stars in the world, Michelle Yeoh sadly just gets too old to be cast in roles in Hollywood because Hollywood's awful. Guardians uh, two
0: though, so potentially Guardians, Guardians
1: three. She's <laughs> fucking phenomenal in Crazy Rich Asians as well. Yeah, she. I mean, um, like, so, so with like obviously like Cliff Curtis, he does the zombie show, which is bad. <laughs> Benedict Wong is, is Wong. Like Benedict Wong kind of trucks along doing lots of stuff. Rose Byrne gets on Damages and also starts being like a really good comedy person. Yeah, who just occasionally lands these like. Huge roles in movies where it's like
0: you didn't mean Rose Byrne, did you? But uh, fair enough, good for her.
1: But like she's she's great in *Bridesmaids*, she's great in *Spy*, she's really good in *Instant Family*. Like she's got a horror franchise.
0: Yeah, she does, and she's been Moira McTaggart twice. Yeah, so. and
1: and and Killian Murphy is the biggest TV star in England at this point. <laughs> I don't know, it's fucking weird.
0: And it's like so weird to hear him do anything but an American accent because he just keeps nailing these roles uh, where he's doing this accent. But yeah, there you go. I wish he'd gone all the way and done the Brian Cox voice as well as uh, (laughs) whatever else. Anyway, that's sunshine. We must look forward to next week. Go to entertherealworld.com, go to soundcloud.com slash Michael Matt, go everywhere. We are on Spotify. We do have the Twitter Will Be Movies, I think is the Twitter address.
1: Yes. Yes. Not there will be. Which it was almost there will
0: be I thought that was great but will be movies it is just you know hit us up we'll talk about anything you want but next week we will be talking about Zodiac and you know if you want to talk about like all star cast of people but this one did a little bit better so uh, we'll be doing that next week we will finally so- solve the Zodiac killings uh, Ben and I will but before Ben and I can sink our teeth into that mystery Ben you've got a much smaller one a tiny mystery will there be movies? not if the sun explodes uh, what? <laughs> yeah Fuck us all apparently. Bye everyone!